Welcome to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. On each and every episode, Brian talks with coaches, athletes, and performers in all arenas who are putting into practice the principles of peak performance that will help you close the gap from where you are to where you want to be, to help you become a master of the mental game, and to help you start dominating the day. This is Brian Kane here with Coach Augie Burrito, head baseball coach at the University of Texas, and uh, winner of the 1979-84-95 College Baseball National Championships at the Cal State Fullerton University in 2002-05 and five with the University of Texas. And Coach Burrito, appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk a little bit with us today about the mental game and just coaching success. Uh, he's the all-time leader in NCAA wins with over 1,800 wins. And Coach Burrito, first question for you is, What's at the foundation of your success? You've been able to have extreme longevity, five national championships scanning four decades. What would you say is at the foundation of your success or your philosophy? Well, I think the foundation of my success is obviously based on other people. You're uh, in the in the mental game side of it and good at it. And uh, we both know Dr. Revisa, and he and I started with the mental game when he was um, – at Cal State Fullerton, and uh, I noticed that the players would have problems uh, managing specifically uh, the difficulties connected to hitting, how hitting affected their overall play, how the, how difficult hitting really is, and the reward and penalty system that goes along on a personal level with hitting the baseball and being a productive offensive player brought to light a need for the mental game uh, to be able to deal with it more accurately, uh, realistically, truthfully, uh, to create better communications not only between a person in your role and the receiver of the information, but also the player-to-player relationship in recognizing what he could control and what he could not control and staying focused on the things that he could control. I don't, you know, players are tied up in hitting. We'll stay with that for the moment it, it, to a level at which it, it drives the whole self-esteem bus. And uh, when you ask a player, how'd you do today? Well, I didn't advance. They don't talk about advancing a runner from second with a productive out to the right side or up the middle, or I scored a runner from third uh, with a fly ball to the outfield. Uh, I took a walk in a critical situation rather than over swinging and striking myself out. Uh, I took what you know as a quality at bat, and the quality at bat has a lot more legs to success than just getting a hit. In fact, you can't even get a hit. You can hit the ball, but it's not necessarily a hit. Uh, You can hit four line drives and go 0 for 4 and you feel lousy. And you hit one ball off the handle and it breaks the bat and goes over the first baseman's head and you feel great. And I think it's because of our capitalistic society, and that's not a criticism. Uh, it's, it's because 
we respect winning, and in the batter's case, winning is directly connected on a personal level into the people around the player with success, winning. Uh, you won the at-bat, but it's much more than that, as you know, and uh, there are a lot more efficient ways and accurate ways for a player to measure his own success and develop a reward system around that success. It's about confidence versus fear. You know, you, you talk about the, the rewarding the success as a part of the process and the quality at-bats. Is there anything else that you emphasize to get the player to focus more directly on things that they have control over instead of the outcomes they never have control over? Well, I, th- I think uh, trying to be realistic about... Um, I talk a lot about the inner child and uh, having fun, that 10 or 12-year-old that uh, when players start to struggle and, and mentally becomes uh, stressed out about his performance, it's, always, it's almost always about offense. It appears to be on defense too, but it's not. As you know, um, the player takes, is in the batter's box when he's playing short when he's not hitting well. And therein lies the poor decisions, uh, the bobbled balls, the, the throws that are, the, the errant throws. So it's still connected subconsciously and consciously most of the time uh, to the hitting. Uh, so I talk about the inner child when the player starts to get down on himself and say, where's that 10-year-old that loved to play baseball? And, it, uh, you know, you have a 12 o'clock game on Saturday morning. You're sitting on the edge of the bed in your uniform at 5 a.m., pounding on that glove, can't wait to get there. Where's that player? Uh, that player's still there. So there's really a couple of personalities that you can choose from when you go to the ballpark. You can either take that little boy that loves to play and can't wait to get there and is excited about the opportunities despite what's gone on in the past, or you can take the person that is frustrated with their performances and relating to the approval of others rather than being focused on the process connected to being a ball player. I think the hardest thing for a young player to recognize is what a ball player really is. I don't mean to describe him, you can describe him better than it's about a process, it's, and, and uh, you have to stay within the framework of that process uh, to be consistent and be productive. And uh, a mutual friend of our, <coughs> a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Raviza, likes to tell the story about Longoria when he strikes out four or five times in a game, and uh, in an extra inning game in the twelfth inning or so. Excuse my inaccuracy, but it's something like that. And he gets the home run to win the game. And that's believing in yourself. And then having the tools, recognizing the symbols that are meaningful to you, your go-to stuff that get you focused and get you uh, uh, to continue to stay within the process. Being aware, what are you working on in batting practice? You're working on when you feel good, when when things are slowed down, what the ball looks like. Uh, these are, that isn't what young players work on. How far does the ball go? 
how many how many times do I, I uh, hit it hard? Uh, am I going to have a good day? That isn't what professional players work on. They work on recognizing the feeling when they're right, what they see, and then they, they they're aware of when they're pulling off the ball or uh, not sticking to their plan or rushing a little bit. And that awareness, now they work on the tools that they have to bring themselves back within the framework of slowing things down, uh, getting back to that good feeling and trusting um, that that feeling to be productive when the game starts rather than playing the game at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when it's a 5 o'clock game. So I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to answer the questions from my point of view the best I can. You talk about the inner child. And I've heard the story, I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2002 or 2005 in Omaha. You guys go out and play game one in the World Series, play kind of tight, don't play Texas baseball. And I heard you brought a team to go watch a couple innings of a little league game in Omaha. Is that, is that true? Actually, it was Fullerton. So it was Fullerton. The story is true, but it was with Fullerton and it was with Rubel and all those guys. And we were out on one of these uh, Omaha batting practice fields. And in those days, I don't remember the year it was, but we were just off. Nobody was really working on anything that mattered. Uh, we probably should have sent them a check for the batting cage that we tore down, or at least the net, because we, we, that's where most of the balls went. Uh, and And... Next to it were some little league fields. There was a game going on. So I told them, we're not getting anything done here. So I went, this half to go root for that side and go over there and pick out the player who plays your position and root for that side. And I want you, this half, to stay on this, the third base side. And I want you to root for this half and get into the game. And they really did. And they had a lot of fun with it, and they reconnected, uh, in my opinion, to something real. And, you know, that was a life form of what people in your business call visualization. They were reconnecting with their inner child, and they were having fun playing ball. And did we go right back and take batting practice? No, that wasn't the objective. The objective was to realize that this is a game. The game is supposed to be fun. But it is the most difficult game in relationship to self-esteem ever created. And I say that over golf, which is a close second, because you can't win a game, but then again, you can't lose a game. Because whoever decided there's going to be eight other people involved with this process really threw a wrench at it. It's not only they give the defense the ball. What's up with that? And now... They give you eight guys that you have to depend on to be able to win the game. I mean, it's, who wins the game is such a subtle, and who loses the game is so subtle that even an expert like yourself has a hard time truly identifying the nuance that created the momentum shift and the pitch, because everyone matters, and the pitch that changed the game. You never know when that pitch is going to come. So you, you never try to win that. That's right. And, and you can't. 
Yeah, I shouldn't say you can't. You don't. You know, in your book, Life is Yours, the one you talk about, you know, so beautifully how, how baseball kind of mirrors life. Could you talk a little bit about in your career just how you've seen the game of baseball mirror life so that the coaches that are listening to this may have a better idea of how they can make that connection for the players that they're really learning about life through the game? Well, I, I think that each each coach has to decide that for themselves, where, where their priorities are. For me, um, we're going through a crisis of sorts this season, and it reconnects me with the challenges of the game. Are you going to see this? Well, let me, let me back up a little bit. In my life, this is the only example that's fair for me to use. In my life, the biggest changes that have made, had the most powerful impact and positive impact have come from the most difficult moments that I did not even know if I was going to make it through it or not. There's been a number of those. When you start in the housing projects and you don't start out with a solid foundation and respect for knowledge, you step in a lot of holes before you figure out how to avoid it. And so a lot of mistakes were made before I had to make life-changing decisions and choices. Then I had to reinvent myself uh, to be able to do it. I think that the blessings that I had were significantly strong, talented, wise, brilliant people around me. And once I, on a personal level, I actually found my purpose in life to be a coach in the United States Army when I was there. I don't need, if you read Life is Yours to Win, you know that. But it was just some sort of a miracle because in the housing projects, it's basically about survival. It's not about who's the smartest. It's who has the money. And so, accidentally, I was assigned in the United States Army to a troop information and education office as a clerk. I was only in the Army for six months. They really didn't know what to do with me. And that's what they did. Greatest gift Because I started filing the testings to go on for the soldiers. And I started to see the difference between the ones that were educated, the ones with higher IQs, the ones that tested out better, and where they went in their placement within the framework, and what their opportunities were in life. Yes, it was life in the Army, but it translated into something, hey, I better make a choice here. This is about knowledge. That's the way out of the projects. That's the way into a world that I want to be in. That's where that happened and why it happened. So how much of success do you think is, is, is a choice in making a decision that you're going to be successful? I was driven by one basic thought. If you're the best at anything you do, you'll have a job, you'll get paid for it, and you'll be happy. But pick out something you're passionate something you have confidence in yourself. 
That's great. Great advice. Find what you love to do and never It's what you have confidence in, in my opinion. And, and this story is, is true. When I was a kid, I was with my dad. He, in the daytime, he worked on the shipyard during the war. And at nights, he worked at the community building, which was like a YMCA here. And he loved sports. But at that community building, I was in his hip pocket. I was with him all the time. They had everything. They had ping pong. They had pool. They had contests like football. Everybody basketball. That was the whole world we lived in. It didn't get bigger than that little projects, projects that we lived in. But one of the things they had was yo-yo contests, along with highlight contests. And I won all the yo-yo contests. I could walk the dog, rock the baby, down the world with both hands, inside out, And... When I was making this decision to go to college, and I did it in the Army, when I told my dad, I said, I'm going to go to college, he says, no, I have a job for you on the ship here. Remember, they came out of the Depression. They came, you know, my dad came out of the Depression. He came out of Spain, where Franco had taken over. My mom came out of Texas, two former countries, uh, and... And uh, they came out of the Dust Bowl. They came out of the Depression. It was about having a job. It was about that, having money, being able to survive, being able to provide for your family. And so that was their intent. And I told them, I'm not going to work on this shit. Going to school, and I'll do whatever it takes. I'll stay as long as I need to. And I'm going to be a coach. Of course, his passion for coaching, he says, can't be a coach. can't get a job being a coach. That's not a job. That's not work. It's fun. And I said to him, you know, Dad, I saw a guy on our 10-inch Foco black and white TV on the Ed Sullivan show, and he was spinning a yoga. He was on national television. He got paid for it. I could be. I mean that. I still think I could. It gave me the confidence to think that if I was the best of whatever I did, I could have a job. I could be paid. I think somewhere in there that's a part of this, but along the way, Baseball takes no prisoners, gives no gifts, always provides us with opportunity, and always provides us with challenges. It continues to reshape us into who we are on a game-by-game basis, year-by-year basis. It's never the same. There will be changes made as a result of the difficulties and the challenges that we're faced with this year. I don't really embrace them, but I recognize them. And I think that any coach that's going through any problems should uh, not, should separate himself and who he is from the W's and the L's. 
whether we win or whether we lose because of the way baseball is structured and the way the game is played, it never reveals the individuality and the true identity of who we really are as complete people. That's still up to us. It reveals who we are as the coach in the moment, and then there'll be another moment. It's a series of falls and recoveries that tests, no matter what your age is, no matter what your record is, you're only as good in these uh, elite involvement uh, environments, and Fullerton is that. Uh, but in any elite job, you're only as good as your production. I have the same responsibility to win, and the past isn't the something you can fall back on to ask other people to understand why you're not. Could it be this? This is a great year for you and I to talk about it. In the first twenty, in in twenty games. Uh, two weeks prior to this conversation, in 20 games they have been decided by two runs or less. We were 10 and 10. The total number of runs in the 10 losses difference was 13. And you were at the game last night, one to nothing. One pitch, maybe a ball, maybe a strike, all the ball. Well, when it gets down to that, that creates either fight or flight. Because you're at basic instinct if you're really connected to the relationships that you're involved with. And at this point, they're widespread. The only ones you really have any kind of well, the ones that really matter the most in in game environment would be the relationship you have with your staff, coaches, and players. To continue to find, based on the reality of how those things have happened. Well, let me ask you a question. You saw the game. Yep. I think this is fair and kind of fun for Coach. Absolutely. What was your response to the what team after the game yesterday? What, did, what, do you, what, what direction do you think I went in? Was I angry? Was I... And, and don't think that I wouldn't tell you the truth if I was angry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my guess would be that you'd take the approach of, like, like you've been saying, it's a cruel game. It's a vicious game. It doesn't always give you what you want. Sometimes gives you what you need. But today is another opportunity of the, 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 the slight difference between success and failure, which can be minuscule. And it might be one pitch. And if we, if we keep, you know, progressing 1% every day, what's the difference between Baylor and Texas? Not big. What's the difference between Oklahoma and Texas? Not big. Right. So if you play just a little bit better, everyone plays just 1% better, who's to say we get in the Big 12 tournament, win the Big 12 tournament, and make a run. It's that close. But it's every pitch that adds that adds up to the result. 
we never know which pitch it's going to be. So we've got to compete as hard as we can every pitch and come back ready tomorrow to win pitch one. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to respond to that. I'm just yeah. going to tell you what I said. Were you at the Friday game? Yes. Okay, good. There is a huge difference, not a small difference, a huge difference between Friday night and tonight. So Friday night, Friday night, we were losers. Tonight, we lost the baseball game. We brought the boy to the ballpark tonight and loves to play. We didn't bring the boy to the ballpark on Friday. We bought the grumpy, disgruntled, non-confident ball player who hopes he gets a hit and hopes he gets an out and hopes they don't get the ball to him. Do you see how much control you have? Do you recognize by comparing how you felt on Friday to how you felt tonight. Now, from the game's point of view, we still lost. But we didn't lose the most important thing. Respect for ourselves. Respect for our team. We didn't lose the joy of playing. We didn't lose the thrill of the game. We got so much out of tonight. And we gave away our soul on Friday. Just think of how powerful you are. It's awesome. The, well, the other difference, the difference is Friday, you, you beat yourself. Well, well, we didn't show up. Yeah. How many times in baseball do you beat yourself versus you really get beat by the other team? A lot. A lot. A lot. That's because, in my opinion, This guy's present, this guy isn't, this guy's present, this guy isn't, this guy's present, this guy isn't, this guy's present, and if the pitcher isn't present, you're done. <laughs> you know, the championship teams that you've had, how have they been different than other teams that have? They take on uh, a chemistry. Some people don't like that word, don't think it exists. They take on a chemistry where they become invincible. Uh, George and Orton and uh, a lot of guys know about that. I don't know whether you believe that or not, but I do. I think I think there's a point at which the team is so connected that it's almost like a spiritual journey in which the intangibles, the unpredictable, in a positive way occur. Can you as a coach create that, or is that created by the players? It's created by <clears throat> everyone. It's created by things we don't even know about, I don't think. I sometimes refer to it when we're in it. We got in it in 2002. We got in it in 2005, George recaptured it in 2004. That was one of the hardest ones ever because of the way they started when they turned it around. But the hardest and most, and, and probably the most significant one ever 
in college baseball was Fresno State. That was impossible. That's where we are now. That's where we are right now. Well, I think when you look at teams like Fresno State, it's got to give you hope. It's got. It, it can't. I think once you lose hope, you're finished. And if you, you know the acronym hope, I, I yeah, I, I think I, I'm not sure about the word hope. I, I know what it means. Yeah, yeah. Believe. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that part. But I, I think somehow you you get connected to. I watched the last four games from Fresno State because I went to school. So I went to watch this miracle, and it took place. They were invincible. They had a right fielder with broken hand. He gets three run home runs. They had this guy with this. They had that guy. Nothing mattered. When George came from behind, we beat uh, Fullerton three times that year at Texas in 2004. They battled their way in. They've got two pitchers. That's it. Uh, they come in. We're the 29 Yankees, according to our media. And Fullerton should really thank our media for a lot of what happened. But George, not taking away from what that team accomplished. But they overcame all obstacles. How do you do that? You can't. Talk, you don't talk someone into that. It's a spirit. It's it's you know that there's no real recipe. You can you can talk about that, but how do you get it? How do you catch it? How do we know the game's contagious, negatively or positively? We know we have a strong connection with each other. Quite frankly, for all the coaches that read this or hear this, I think we have not been able to get connected because we don't consistently bring the same personality man for man to the ballpark. So how can you connect when Joe is little Joe one day, his inner child, and Joseph, the old man that doesn't want to play anymore the next day? Huh? How do you get connected when you don't know who's standing next to you? And it's just an observation, but I, you have to be connected. So we haven't been able to make anything stick for long periods of time. We've tried different things, but it, why doesn't it take with some, and why does it take with others? Look at Fullerton this year. They went through last year something similar to what we're going through right now. What's happened right now at Texas? There's an environmental change. How much emphasis do you put on environment? I don't know, but it's powerful. We know that. Everything grows according to evolution takes place as a result of the environment. So if you scale that down just a little bit, Environment plays a big part, and I'm not just talking home and away. I'm talking about every day. And what does, how big a role does environment play in the performance of the team? It plays a big role in the performance of the team. We, you and I, want to minimize it and get control of it and say we can't control the things around us, but we can control our response to it. How do you 
control your emotions when I tell an 18, 19, 20-year-old that and they've never heard it in their life before, how do they apply it? How do they trust it? How do, how do we teach it? That's the challenge. So each coach from his own personality has to teach it in his own way. Like you know the power of that. Is there things that, you know, you talk about teaching that response to adversity, teaching that, you know, keeping your focus in the moment. Are the things that you do from a, we call it a mental conditioning standpoint, just like you go to the weight room to, to lift, are the things that you maybe do through the fall, through January, February, into the season to try to create that mental toughness or that mindset of, of being in the moment, finding your inner child, controlling what you can control, and minimizing the distractions and that's what's in mind. When I say we the whole coaching staff, we're, we're very aware of the importance of all of that. And yes, we pay attention to all of that. But I feel each group is different because of age, experience, response. And I think that all players are different than prospects and ball players are different than good athletes. Ball players make instinctive decisions related to the game and their mind works in relationship to the game instinctively. And you know by working with all these different personalities, that's true. You can see good athletes, you take them out, put them through drills, put them in a game, and their choices aren't consistent. They don't run the bases well. They don't. The lay public has no idea how quickly a player has to think in a game that appears to be extremely slow to make a base running decision or to make a, a throwing decision or to make a, a hitting decision. So I, I think that, yes, we're aware of all of these things um, and sometimes we get lost in the fundamentals of you have to be able to play catch and there is no defense. You have to be able to be able to run the four four facets of offense. Hitting is one of them, but it's not everything. Offense is about run scoring. That's the thing we haven't been able to get to this team. We're one Baylor is hitting two sixty five going into this. Series. We're hitting 264. They've outscored us by 50 something months. Time, timely. Yeah. Quality outs. It's quality at bats. So we keep a scorebook. We said we should solve the problem, right? We've got a scorebook. All it is is quality at bats. In that scorebook, it gives the seven different things. We call quality of bats. Productive outs. That's when you meet you know it. Yeah. And every coach a little bit. Getting a line drive, it gets caught. Taking a walk. Instead of striking yourself out, advancing runners, etc., etc., etc. Everybody make up their own. I'm not trying to dictate. These are, this is what we say. And now we keep a, a, a batting. I'm not much of a statistics person anyway. I think the game is about opportunity and should remain about opportunity and statistics about the past. 
but I have to look at I have to look at statistics because I have to answer the questions from the media and and from people about these things. But I'm not a stat person, stat head anyway. I'm about personnel. Say how do you asked several minutes ago. Now, how, how do you stay in this game? I've been asked that you know for as long as I have. It's because I'm fascinated by it, but I'm not in love with it. I'm I'm not passionate about the game. I'm passionate about the experiences the players encounter and the role that I have in relationship to it. I do embrace the difficulties of this year because it is when it's easy, I'm not even sure they need your coach. When it's sailing along, it, it sails along. But right now, every day, we as coaches, every one of us are challenged by the way we walk in the room to the way we say good morning to the look in our eye. Everything is being evaluated from the point of fear because the players fear uh, being rejected. Your role as a teacher is to is to go in every day. And, um, yeah, I remember in the old four series, having you know, I was at Fullerton two and three, and then watching you and George and Texas and Fullerton go at it in two thousand four. And I remember ESPN made a deal about you being the mentor and George being the student. You guys yeah. had on the same staff. And I know one of the things that you mentioned there was that. It's about relationships, and and your role as a teacher is about those relationships. Could you could you talk about the importance of relationships from a coaching standpoint, both with staff? Well, in my mind, it's, it's very personal to, to me. I think that's where the rewards. I had to make a big a big shift from the '79 national championship. Those. I mean, I saw a picture of myself after that, and I had the trophy, and I thought the world was going to change because of that national championship. Now all the things I had hoped for would take place, maybe a groundskeeper instead of doing it myself and something. But the point was, I mean, here are the players standing next to me, and I've got this, I'm clutching this trophy like, it is the symbol of my success. To me, it's mine. And I saw that really as wrong. And I knew it wasn't true. And a lot of other things, other things were going on in my life at that point in time too. However, that was one of the real impressive things that came at Symbols that came out of that for me. You're wrong about that. It doesn't belong to you. And maybe that's why other things in your life are going so sideways. You think it does. And you think that this is what matters. When in fact, maybe it's the people around you that matter the most. That was a huge realization for me and a wake-up call for me. And that's when I shifted. And I had many things to straighten out and uh, uh, but that that became a time of, of uh, 
reckoning and really reinvented myself and shifted from being trophy oriented, ring oriented, win oriented, and all of those kinds of things. Now, at the same time, it's mandatory that we win in our job. But that's when I really started seeking out Ken to get whatever information I could uh, to to make the changes that I thought needed to be made. And it took, by 84, let's, let's just go all the way up to that, the second national, from 79 to 84, I spent a lot of time, a lot of energy with people like yourself, other people that were much smarter than I was about personality development, but I actively sought out information that made sense to me that I could apply to myself. I wasn't satisfied that I knew and I didn't like where I was. So uh, in that, and I started living life differently. Anyway, by 84, the difference of the championship was the players had the trophy and they had me up on their shoulder and I had a big smile on my face waving to everybody. That was the difference. It makes me cry right now. It is, it is the shift from it being about you to being about, about others. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I applaud you for, you know, at, in 79, being a student who, you know, learns about himself and tries to find ways to make himself better, which I think as a head coach, when you get, when you take that approach of making yourself better, that transcends, like you talked about energy, both good and bad, transcends into the team. If, if you're working at yourself, that's going to transcend into your team as well. I think that, and, and I think, I think about it today as we sit here and talk about it. And I think I have an act, you know, I'm often asked, because of my age and how long I've been in it, you know, when are you going to retire? And, and uh, you get older when you lose, you get fatter when you lose, you get dumber when you lose, you get <laughs> uglier when you lose. You, you, yeah, you, everything from a different point of view about you becomes worse in some people's minds. And I'm at, I was asked recently, you know, what's the difference yesterday by the TV guys? What's different about today's athlete? How much have they changed? I said, I don't know. I really don't look at it that way. But here's what I do know. The player still desperately wants the adults involved to help them help themselves be successful. Therein lies the strength of the relationship. Therein lies the connection. And that's what I look for. That's what I care about. That's what motivates me. How can I relate to 32 personalities who have probably... 29 different learning patterns. Uh, how can I relate to them? How can I get this confidence and keep it going? How can I do it today? We're going to see the game today, assuming you're going to be there. This will be a tough one. We've lost two. 
this is where you throw your hands up. We were trashed. We, we trashed ourselves on Friday. We came back and put everything into it. How remarkable was Dylan Peterson's pitching performance? How would you like to pitch on a team that doesn't score? We made four errors, three in the same inning the night before. How about that? I've seen a lot of major league pitchers, and this is what I told him in front of his teammates. I've seen a lot of major league pitchers not be able to do what he did to the cave. Absolutely. So, I think because am I hurt by it? Does it make me sad? Yeah. Does it uh, does it make me angry about things? I hit all of those ranges of emotions. I feel good about that because I'm connected. If I didn't care, it's over. Um, but I'm connected, but I'm realistic and I'm truthful because I feel like the cornerstone to all of these relationships is trust. So if it's the bad news, we present it in a realistic form. Is it, um, you know, if you could, for the coaches listening to this, if you were to go back to before 79 and, and it's, you know, you, you could, you know, look at, you said how the national championship changed you was it sounds like it went from me into from me to the players. Right. It went from it being about relationships. That's right. You know, I see a lot of the coaches that I get the chance to know who the number one goal is in the national championship. Right. And that, the outcome versus the process of the trust that you're talking about, the relationships, the communication, working with yourself, right. the uh, helping the players to, to help themselves. Is that is that the process that you now... It's the process, but I do, I do agree that you have to have the goal of winning the national championship because the process is guided by that. One of the hard things about winning the national championship is you have to know before you even do even practice the first day how to, how to win it. If you don't know the process uh, and haven't been down the road, it becomes difficult to have confidence in what you're doing with your team at the right time. But um, there's miracles in this business. There's the unexpected, which creates a lot of excitement. And in my opinion, the unexpected wins championships. That's the thrill. That's the intangible. That's the opportunity. It's all within the framework of what's unexpected. College baseball games are won by the expected. They're won by the unexpected. College baseball games aren't won by perfection. They're won by imperfection. How do you deal with the imperfections? How do you deal with the unexpected when it's negative against you? That's where you win. That's where you win. Awesome. Last last question for you, Coach. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a game to go prepare for. If you could remove the skull cap of all the coaches that will be listening to this, plant one seed of success inside of their head that would germinate, that would make a difference from your experience, from your perspective. What would that, what would that one seed of success be that you would 
want to share with the coaches is winning, winning in our business is mandatory. But it's something you can't control. But you can control the process. Spend as much time or more time integrating the mental game with your physical. So when you're taking infield and outfield, put the mental game into process. When you're taking batting practice, work with the players to take batting practice and practice the mental game in addition to the physical game. So try to look at a balance between your teaching of the mental game and the physical game. They're far different. They're far different. And avoid result-oriented goals. Coach Greedo, it's been an honor. Uh, I want to thank you for all the influence that you've had on my life, even though this is the first time I've got the chance to, to meet you. I uh, haven't been a product of, of the system through Fullerton and, and through going through two years with Ken. And uh, just want to say thank you for taking the time. Well, you're to welcome. Do this. I appreciate you're it welcome. Very much. Anything that I think one of the commonalities of baseball coaches is none of us got into it in the beginning over the paycheck. Everybody got into it over passion. The passions were different, and the passions may change along the way. But it's still about being a school teacher and having an effect, one student at a time, in the development of a better society. There's always a bigger picture than a baseball. Today's podcast is sponsored by Potential Apparel. Potential Apparel is on a mission to inspire athletes to reach their true potential. If you're serious about reaching yours, then you have to go check them out. They make awesome clothing for dedicated and committed athletes. I'm a huge supporter of what they're doing, and that's why I wear their clothing with pride. Make a statement and join the movement today at PotentialApparel.com. Be sure you use promo code Brian Kane with a space between Brian and Kane for 15% off on your first order. Dominate the day with Potential Apparel. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. Please make sure that you visit briancane.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com and sign up for my Monday message where every Monday I deliver straight to your inbox videos, interviews, articles, tips, techniques, and strategies that you can use to master the mental game. You can also contact me through my website on our Contact Us page and see my calendar of where I'm going to be in the country and when I'm coming to your area so that we can get together and that we can continue to go out there and dominate the day. This is a production of Corn Belt Sports. The Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast is part of the Top Coach Network.